It's Friday, July 31st, 2020. And from the Pennsylvania Environmental Council, this is Pennsylvania Legacies. I'm Josh Rollerson. Pennsylvania is the nation's second biggest producer of natural gas. That means we're also among the biggest emitters of methane, a greenhouse gas that's many times more harmful to the climate than carbon dioxide. Most of that methane comes from leaks in the supply chain. Those leaks can go undetected for months or even years at a time, exacerbating air quality problems, putting workers in immediate physical danger, and spewing more than a million tons a year of carbon into the atmosphere in Pennsylvania alone. Well, the scale of the industry and the complexity of its infrastructure can present a challenge when it comes to finding and fixing leaks. But there's also good news. Leak detection technology is advancing by leaps and bounds. These days, oil and gas operators have access to tools that can cut up to a third of their emissions without adding a dime to their net cost. You know, 10,000 components would typically take two technicians in the past more than a week to analyze. Where with this new technology, I can come in, identify all the leaks, and do it in a matter of six to eight hours. These are low-cost interventions that can deliver huge dividends in climate terms. And that's a must for the gas industry, if it's going to remain relevant in the transition to a zero-carbon future economy. Global companies like Shell and BP understand that. It's why they, along with other big players in the space, are already investing in leak detection and repair, or LDAR and also supporting government action to ensure strong standards are enforced industry-wide. In Pennsylvania, the Wolf administration has pledged to do exactly that, in part through a DEP rulemaking process that's already well underway. In pursuing that policy, they've cited economic motivations alongside environmental goals, but the effects of policies like these are often felt well beyond their immediate sphere of influence, both environmentally and economically. Strengthening methane standards will help boost our economy in a whole range of ways, both direct and indirect. One is by encouraging innovation and entrepreneurship within the growing methane mitigation industry, the focus of this episode. Mitigation firms both large and small are setting up shop all over the Commonwealth. They're capitalizing on technology and talent produced in our research universities, and they're meeting the burgeoning demand for Eldar services throughout the region. In a few minutes, we will get the perspective of one such company that's doing business in Pennsylvania and putting Pennsylvanians to work catching gas leaks. But first, to get a 30,000-foot view of the industry as a whole, let's hear from Isaac Brown. He's with the Center for Methane Emissions Solutions. So the Center for Methane Emissions Solutions is the national business coalition that represents the the views and interests of the methane mitigation industry um, here in the United States. Um, You know, the reason that we were formed essentially is our members realized that the federal government and states across the country were taking a really close look at methane emissions And our members realized that that they wanted to have a seat at the table so that as these rules were being designed, they could play a constructive role in relaying their expertise to policymakers about what they're really experiencing on the ground. Um, And that's frankly the role that we're playing in states like Pennsylvania. You know, our job is not frankly to tell Governor Wolf what to do, but because he's made it clear that he wants to regulate methane, we want to make sure he understands what technology is available, what we're seeing that works in states, and frankly, what we're seeing that isn't working, and what the technology really allows to be practical. You know, one thing that we have communicated to them and we will continue to communicate to them, you know, 
they took an approach in their proposal that's under consideration right now to say, you know, um, they're requiring regular emissions testing, but if, um, if, if those tests yield a, a positive result in the sense that they don't identify a leak, there's a ramp down provision in the proposal that allows the, the testing to become less and less frequent. And you know, our experience in Colorado and other states is that that's just, um, unfortunately that's not, a, I understand kind of the, the view from a business perspective why you would say, okay, if, if it checks, if this inspection passes muster, you know, maybe we don't expect that company moving forward to, to do the same level of testing. But our experience in Colorado and other states is that that's actually a mistake. Yeah, it's not a predictor. Exactly. You know, you may have a site that today has no leaks and a month from now has a significant leak. Um, and so by requiring regular and consistent testing, um, you're doing a couple of things. One, you're preventing such an, occur such an incident from occurring where you have a, a huge leak you know, subsequently after that isn't detected for a longer period of time because of this ramped out provision. But also, if you're working with one of our members, and, you know, for example, if, if one of my members in Pennsylvania knows that there's a marketplace where there's going to be quarterly testing in the state, then, then our members can work with their clients to develop a, a structure for their contract that is cost effective. Um, and can work for both sides of the equation because our members know that they have the consistency of knowing that that contract is in place. And so um, over time, producers will find that that's actually the more um, financially viable model for testing. So help me get a sense of the mitigation industry nationally, the sort of the big picture. What is, what is the size of this industry? How fast is it growing? Where are you seeing the most growth? Yeah, you know, I think like a lot of industries, the methane mitigate, mitigation industry is really quite diverse. We really range from, from small local companies that are literally on the ground working with producers to identify and repair leaks in real time. Um, and we range all the way to large multinational corporations that have the technology and know-how to work with oil and gas producers on a global scale to develop strategies to capture methane emissions. So, you know, we really run the gamut. Um, and what that allows us to do when we're communicating with policymakers is we can really provide a comprehensive perspective about um, the opportunity to address methane emissions in a manner that you know, can achieve very important and understandable environmental concerns, but to do so in a way that doesn't hinder the economy because at the end of the day, um, our customers, um, you need to have the assurance that their economy, that their jobs are not going to be impacted as a result of, of the rules that we're talking about. So when you say, uh, you know, this is a diverse industry, big companies, small companies, uh, if we could kind of focus in on Pennsylvania, is there such a thing as a, a, a typical or representative firm? And if so, what does that look like? How many people typically work at, at one of these companies and how do they integrate with the local economy? What's the impact locally? Well, truthfully, I think um, my colleagues at, at Montrose, and I'm so glad that they're going to be able to be part of this conversation. I know Jared lives in, in Pittsburgh, and he can speak to this firsthand. Um, you know, we have a number of companies that, that have a presence here in Pennsylvania. One of the things that they have relayed to policymakers time and time again um, is, you know, right now our members are in 46 states across the country, and they really deploy their resources based upon um, what's happening on the ground. 
And so certainly as there's been a, a, a huge a boom in oil and gas production in the state of Pennsylvania, our members have recognized that there is an opportunity to partner with producers so that they can protect their resource and preserve their resource by capturing methane emissions in a, in a responsible and reasonable way. And so, you know, certainly um, our, our members are looking right now at making even larger investments and hiring more people, training more people. And one of the great things about our industry you'll find um, is that these are, these are quality, high paying jobs um, that, that really bring a lot of value to communities across the state. So in your capacity as advocating for this industry and your member organiz- your member companies and talking about the methane rulemaking in Pennsylvania, which, uh, you know, you were supportive of, of what the governor, the steps governor has taken and the commitments he has made. Uh, talk a bit more about that. Why, why is this important for the industry? Why do you support the rulemaking? Well, you know, we've been talking to Governor Wolf and his administration for some time. We've also been talking to uh, legislators, both Republican and Democratic in the state for, um, you know, going on five or so years now. Um, and we really commend the governor and his team for taking a really thoughtful, deliberative approach here. And, you know, one of the things that I think is often not discussed is the economic impacts that come to a state like Pennsylvania from not regulating methane emissions. Mm-hmm. You know, because methane is the key ingredient in natural gas, by allowing flaring or, or, or venting either intentionally or unintentionally, um, you know, producers are actually losing their product. And so studies have shown that the result of current practices in the state have led to an economic loss of about $86 million for producers. And so the point that we have been making throughout this entire process is, you know, you must also consider the cost benefit side of not capturing uh, these emissions because Unlike some environmental issues where there are really difficult but clear, um, you know, cost-benefit gains and losses that come from environmental regulation, our view is that thoughtful rules can actually allow, and we've seen in other states, that thoughtful rules can allow um, environmental emissions to go down, but production, oil and gas production to increase in states like uh, Colorado. And that's why BP and Halliburton and other leading producers are saying, look, what's happening both nationally and in particular states to deregulate methane, um, it's a mistake. And you know, you can't paint a broad brush and say all environmental policies are, are, are wrong. This is clearly one of those cases where so many of the interests align in the right way. Obviously, there there's an environmental benefit to being more responsible about methane. There's sort of these altruistic motivations, but the value proposition of a methane mitigation company to their customers is preserving the product and being able to bring more of it to market. It's really about their bottom line, too. And as you alluded to, it, it does seem that a, a lot of the players in the oil and gas industry seem to recognize that and are embracing mitigation practices for that reason. And we're going to have a chance to hear directly from a methane mitigation company in a moment. But speaking broadly for your membership, how do people in the industry that you work with tend to view the role of state government, federal government, not necessarily just in Pennsylvania, but what's what's kind of the climate right now? I, I mean, I think, you know, to answer your question from a, you know, without speaking to the current political dynamics, I think in a, in a perfect world, you would really have the federal government and state governments working in lockstep with one another. So that the federal government was sort of establishing a, a national policy, a national standard, a national framework that really provides certainty um, for markets across the country. 
you know, one of the challenges that I hear from time to time is that as a result of some of the steps that have been taken at the federal level, you're creating a circumstance by design where you've got states across the country that are having to um, figure out what, what role they want to play um, in isolation to one another. And that's a really hard place for industry to operate because from one state to the next, you may have different policies and different considerations. So ideally, you've got a federal government that's setting a national standard, and then you layer that with states like Pennsylvania and others that can look at their particular state, their constituents and their needs, and then they can say, you know, the federal standard does, does X, but we recognize that because of the specifics of our communities, you know, we need to layer in some, you know, a, a policy that maybe is additive in some areas. Um, that, that's sort of ideally how, how that partnership would work. Um, you know, the, the Trump administration um, has made a decision to roll back methane rules. Um, you know, we've been in regular contact with them to try to, to convey to them um, the opportunity that exists to, to, and the benefit that would occur if there was a national voice here or a national policy. Um, they've made the decision that they've made. And so in the absence of that, you know, we appreciate that both Democratic and Republican governors across the country have continued to um, take a leadership role um, in setting standards because they recognize that it doesn't have to be an either or situation. You can achieve both objectives. Um, and, and frankly, for the viability of our industry in the long run, they need to achieve both objectives. So given that the coordination or leadership at the federal level is not what we might like it to be, and the fact that it's fallen on states and more local jurisdictions to, to manage these things, it, it is important and maybe a little bit more difficult to understand the range of policies that have been adapted. I know your members are in all of these states where rules have been uh, made or refined. Can you kind of give us a big picture view of what those policies look like in other states and how they've played out, where Pennsylvania might fit in that picture in terms of what you know what's been effective and, and not so much what's needed, what are the best practices, and what can we learn from other states? Yeah, absolutely. You know, I think one of the things that we've learned from other states um, that really works well is um, establishing clear and transparent benchmarks and then being consistent with those benchmarks. Um, so Colorado is sort of viewed as the gold standard um, with regard to state leadership in this area. They passed what's known as Regulation 7 um, in 2014, um, which really set for the first time a sort of a comprehensive um, approach to addressing methane emissions in their state. Um, and in the six years since then, it's been just a remarkable success. Um, you know, they have seen um, that they've been able to achieve the um, environmental benchmarks that they set forth, but yet the oil and gas industry has continued to thrive. And one of the lessons that I think, you know, can be applied from the Colorado example to Pennsylvania, and one of the things that's being discussed with the proposal here in Pennsylvania, um, is that Colorado um, implemented a regular monitor, emissions monitoring and repair program where uh, producers are required to conduct regular emissions testing. And if, and if there's a leak discovered, um, there are clear guidelines in place about the timing and, and procedure for getting those emissions repaired. Um, and then another thing, just really quickly, from the Colorado example, we actually conducted um, a survey of oil and gas producers in Colorado 
um, after Re Regulation 7 was put into place. And it found that um, over 70% of producers actually found that by complying with Regulation 7, they were actually either breaking even or making a profit as a result of the rules because of the amount of, of product they were able to retain. That really needs to be emphasized. This is not as big of a lift as, as uh, some might think, just hearing about it for the first time. There's this resistance to regulation for fear of uh, putting a burden on industry. In this case, it's almost the opposite. Well, you know, certainly we think that um, there's a really strong economic argument for why these emissions, uh, why it makes sense to have thoughtful rules in place. You know, I mean, I think, and that's why we're really appreciative of the approach that the, that the governor has taken here in Pennsylvania. You know, certainly um, you can put rules in place that don't meet sort of the, the, the reality test, for the lack of a better term. And I think that's one of the things that our members, that our organization, that we try to provide for policymakers, as I, as I mentioned before. You know, it, we don't view our role as telling states what to do or not to do. Our, our role is to say, you know, okay, you know, if you are going to be implementing rules, Here's what we know works from our experience. Here's what we know doesn't work. And we try to be a resource. Isaac Brown from the Center for Methane Emission Solutions. Thank you so much for being on Pennsylvania Legacies today. It's great to have you. Thank you so much for having me. I appreciate it. As we just heard, methane mitigation businesses come in all sizes, and both ends of the spectrum are represented in this next conversation with Scott Cherbach, Senior VP of Risk and Regulatory Affairs for California-based Montrose Environmental, and Jared Metcalf. He runs the Pittsburgh offices of Target Emission Services. Montrose acquired Target last year. They are now working together to expand Montrose's presence in the Northeastern U.S. and Canada. Gentlemen, welcome to Pennsylvania Legacy. It's great to have you here. Thanks, Josh. Thanks, Josh. Great to be here. So for starters, uh, tell me about Montrose, the company, what you do, uh, where you do business, uh, who your customers are, kind of big picture. Uh, Montrose is a, is a unique animal. We are a, a, a full-service environmental solutions provider that we feel is unlike any other company in the world. We are a, a very uh, a eclectic collection of over 1,500 engineers, scientists, highly trained technicians, toxicologists, epidemiologists, PhDs. We even have a full medical staff at 65 locations across the US, Canada, and Australia. And we're collecting together and we ask ourselves one question, that is, what are the impacts we, as a global human race, are having on the planet? And how can we, Montrose, leverage technology to help our clients reduce those impacts uh, across all media? Um, that's, you know, the air we breathe, the water we drink, the soil that provides our food. Um, our clients range from Fortune 500 oil and gas providers, uh, power generation, chemical manufacturing, uh, down to mom and pop organizations. Uh, we even uh, have as our clients uh, cruise ships and massage providers uh, through the pandemic, uh, helping decontaminate cruise ships across the world and helping uh, retail folks with having proper pandemic procedures and, 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 and processes to protect their employees and to protect their customers. Our thesis is we can leverage technology to help our clients reduce their impact on the environment and human health, 
conserve vital resources, and save money. If it's sustainable, all those things need to happen. Um, you know, that, that triple bottom line of the circular economy, people, planet, profits. Let's do the right things and leverage technology so that we can help companies save money. Target Emissions is one of those companies that, that joined our family about a year ago that, that met that bill. And we've invested deeply in this technology that can really help companies uh, accomplish methane reductions while saving money. And doing so with a focus both on the you know the, the bigger picture and the the social responsibility, but also those companies' bottom lines. I'd, I'd like to hear more about that idea, that philosophy, as it relates specifically to natural gas in Pennsylvania, and the idea that doing right by the environment is also, you know, at some level identical with doing right by your shareholders and your stakeholders and your company. How does that apply to oil and gas in this part of the country? I can speak to that. Uh, we've got a great example. So. Uh, I've been in the Pennsylvania area now for about five years, and what brought me to the area was that uh, local industry was willing to accept new technologies. And specifically what they've done, they're uh, under federal regulations, they're required to do these leak detection and repairs. And historically speaking, it was a very labor-intensive, long process that required the technician to uh, go to each potential leak point with a sniffer and apply that probe to it and analyze and see if there was a leak. Well, what we've done with this new technology, which is specifically a camera that allows us to see emissions, uh, and that also allows us to uh, test more components at once. What it's done is allowed us to get in and reduce emissions while reducing costs because it's a much more efficient process. You know. 10,000 components would typically take two technicians in the past more than a week to analyze. Where with this new technology, I can come in, identify all the leaks, and do it in a matter of six to eight hours. So what that's doing is allowing us to go in and scan more often. So what in the past might have only been analyzed once annually, we can go in and do every two months. So the end product is that a component that could have leaked for up to a year now will only leak potentially for two months. And that's a, it's a big impact. So we're finding those leaks and keeping them in the pipe, creating a safer environment for our clients and the people that work there uh, and allowing that product to stay in the pipe. I'd like to hear more about your sort of your history, your story as a company and your relationship with Montrose, because you guys started off, I think, as a as a startup, Jared, and were acquired recently. Correct. Yes. We have been operating in the U.S. since 2012. Uh, the company was originally started in Canada. Um, we saw that there was a need for, uh, you know, our technology in the U.S. And uh, we started helping our clients out. And then eventually we came to, a uh, you know, there was, there was a fork in the road, you know, and we wanted to grow and Montrose uh, started discussions with us and we were aligned in our visions and it was just, it was beautiful. And they've allowed us to grow and help even more clients and introduce them to the technologies that we offer and, and the benefits that, that come from that. Scott, from Montrose's point of view, coming into this new relationship, what was, what was your interest in Target and more broadly in in Pennsylvania, is it mainly driven by, as you talked about, the you know the innovation happening on the ground here, and, and you know wanting to be in on that? Is is it about 
demand for your services in this part of the country or, or all of the above or what? There's all the above. Uh, you know, Montrose tries to find the right technology that checks those boxes. Um, we're, we're deeply involved with methane emissions monitoring and, been, and uh, spending a lot of money on researching new technologies. And we came across this team of, of really dynamic, entrepreneurial, hardworking, competitive uh, folks. It's like, these guys are perfect. And Pennsylvania has an important part in our future and our history. Uh, we have a lot of employees in Pennsylvania, and we're committed to help Pennsylvania the oil and gas industry you know, reduce uh, methane emissions. So you've got, uh, I believe, by my count, five offices, five locations in Pennsylvania. Is that right? Uh, actually, four major locations, two in the Pittsburgh area and two in the eastern side. We have uh, two emissions monitoring uh, stack testing offices where we help our clients uh, reduce emissions and monitor for compliance. Uh, we have the, uh, the uh, leak detection group with uh, target emissions. And we also have uh, a, a advanced geoservices in the eastern part of the Pennsylvania in the Philly region. It is um, an engineering consulting environmental impact group. It helps uh, companies reduce their environmental impacts for real properties, whether it's greenfields, brownfields, remediations, renovation type work, um, and landscape architecture. Josh, to speak about uh, my specific office, I have uh, around 30 employees that report to this office. Uh, but these guys aren't just, they don't just have a presence here in Pennsylvania. Uh, we are in 48 other states. Uh, servicing our clients. So the guys travel in and out of Pennsylvania uh, to help our clients meet their needs uh, with, with the new technologies that we're providing. Yeah, we're using Pennsylvania resources, Pennsylvania people, and helping uh, uh, reduce environmental impacts really across the country. So Jared, you're based in Pittsburgh or Western Pennsylvania, but you work in 48 states. So you also have a pretty good big picture sense of these things, I, I would think. Absolutely. What's What are your observations been about other states that have gone down this road that Pennsylvania is, is going down, have adopted methane controls, weaker, stronger, whatever? How, how are operators in those states, your customers, adapting to those changing conditions? And then, you know, what do you do to support that? So we're, we're really seeing that that they're adopting it with ease because the, the technology really pushes that. It's, it's, it's easy for us to come in, identify leaks more often, and, and then they're allowed to repair them. And with the technology, we're able to uh, capture images that allow operations personnel really to see where the leak is coming from so they're not wasting time uh, on components that aren't really leaking. And they can see what part of that component is leaking, whether it be the packing of the valve, a flange, so when we're doing increased observations, uh, it's really easy, really quick, and uh, all the data that we pass on to them helps them repair uh, all of those leaks faster. One thing I'd like to add real quick is, is with uh, Jared's technology, we're even going beyond just the regulations. Because it makes so much sense, we're doing monitoring in industries that aren't required to look for leaks, like power generation, and helping them eliminate the safety hazards eliminate the leaks, um, uh, uh, SF6, which is used in breakers and, and panels as an insulation, has a greenhouse gas rating of, I believe it's 25,000 times that of CO2. And we're quite frequently brought in to look for leaks from these panels. So it's going beyond just the oil and gas regulated industry because it makes so much sense and it's so affordable. Other industries are bringing us in to help them reduce their emissions and leaks too. 
That's interesting. Where, where are you seeing the most demand outside of oil and gas for this kind of technology, Jared? So a lot of it is with power generation, specifically natural gas fired turbines. So they're bringing us in to analyze their fuel gas systems, right? That's a, that's a significant cost to them to produce electricity. So they want to make sure that they're finding all the leaks uh, as soon as possible and uh, putting a fix on them. So this is technology that's adaptable and can be expanded in any number of different directions. Absolutely. Absolutely. Uh, they also offer a similar version. Not only can you have a camera that sees methane, but you can also see, as Scott said, SF6. And so what that allows us to do is go in and scan these breakers from a safe distance without requiring the power generation plant to shut down so that you would have to approach the breaker and be very close to it. So, uh, you know, safety goes a long way with, with industry. So if we could get a, a little bit technical, and I stress a little bit because this is going to mostly over my head, but I want to take advantage of you guys being here and help me understand a little bit from a detection mitigation standpoint, uh, because it is pretty important to the regulatory debate that's happening in Pennsylvania, the difference between a, an existing facility that's been around for a while and a newer one or that's been recently modified. Are there patterns uh, in terms of which category tend to deal with more problems, what kind of problems they deal with. Is there a significant difference from your standpoint between conventional and unconventional methods? So let's let's start off with the age of facilities. One would think that as a facility ages, that there would be more leaks. But what we're seeing uh, when we apply these technologies that I'm offering, there, there really isn't a, a significant difference that I'm seeing between a new facility and an old facility. Um, as far as conventional versus unconventional, um, by the time that our technologies are deployed, um, we're approaching a well site and we don't know how, how that well has been produced, whether it's conventional or unconventional. There's really no difference. And it really is what Jared said. It goes to the maintenance practices and the operational practices. But with that increased monitoring of every other month, that increased frequency, we can mitigate those maintenance practices that maybe someone's not quite doing them as well and be able to catch the leak immediately rather than waiting for a year to catch the leak. Yeah, the technology really closes the gap between new facilities and old facilities and the amount of leaks that we find. Tell me a little bit more about the technology and its evolution over you know recent years. It seems like the cost of making these adaptations is, is low and getting lower all the time is my impression. So what what have been the big drivers of that in, in recent years, and where do you see it going in the future? So the capital cost clearly has is is a, is a big barrier and a, and a big investment, and we made that that investment, and 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 we believe in that technology. We're able to to then pass the savings on to our customers with uh, being able to do a lot more effectively and a lot more efficiently. Um, we're also investing in technologies to be able to use optical imaging to better tune flaring and to reduce emissions from flares. Um, historically, being able to test the flare would take days uh, of setup to be able to test one flare. Now with the uh, new technology for Manus, I can uh, use an optical camera from a quarter, up to a quarter of a mile away and determine the destruction efficiency of a flare. Uh, no, no one likes the flare, but at least we can tune the flare and, and reduce the emissions on a real-time basis, which hasn't been able to be done before. We've also developing some fence line technology where, and this is something we've been working with Colorado and our team in Colorado and Denver, is being able to put a, a fence line real-time detection system around oil and gas facilities and other uh, chemical facilities, if you will, and, and refineries. 
and be able to not only detect if there's a real-time incident of methane, but then by using our triangulation software, we've been partnering with some other groups to be able to detect exactly where it's coming from. So instead of waiting for once every two months, we can say, hey, you have a real-time leak and it's in quadrant C. And then I can have Jared's team deploy out to quadrant C on a real-time basis and take advantage of uh, and fix the leak on a real-time level. It's worth mentioning, too, I think, that this doesn't just save money, isn't just good in terms of environmental impact, but worker safety is a big consideration here, too. You're saving lives, right? Absolutely. We had a situation at one of our client sites where we found a uh, rather significant leak that was coming from a non-regulated part of their facility. So it wasn't an area that they would have regulated, they would have sniffed Hmm. at. And it just so happened that the leak was happening right by a heat tracing line. So you had an electrical, uh, a, a kind of a, 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 a short and a wire, if you will, with the uh, hydrocarbons leaking all over it. Had we not captured that and had we not just happened to see that with our technology, it potentially could have blown the facility up. Absolutely. I just want to reemphasize what Scott said. Uh, with this technology, uh, we are able to easily view non-regulated components and that's you know cracks in welding that we've found before or um, just safety hazards that uh, the product isn't regulated but we're able to view that and see any potential hazards that are there well gentlemen thank you so much for your time today really appreciate you sharing insights from your industry help me understand a little bit better hopefully help our listeners understand uh, the context for this uh, rulemaking Thanks for being on Pennsylvania Legacies. It was great talking with you. Thanks, Josh. Thanks, Josh. Appreciate uh, the time today. There's lots more on the PEC website about how Pennsylvania is tackling the methane problem. Check out the post for this episode to find more links, and you can always visit the PEC Policy Tracker to stay on top of legislative and regulatory developments we're following in Harrisburg. You can stream every episode of Pennsylvania Legacies on the web at peckpa.org, playable within your browser, or you can do it the old-fashioned way and subscribe in your favorite podcast app. We're on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, SoundCloud, Google Play, and pretty much anywhere else where podcasts are available. Uh, However you find the show, we hope you will join us for the next one, which should be along in a couple of weeks. Until then, for the Pennsylvania Environmental Council, I'm Josh Rollerson, and thanks for listening. (music) 